Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-Mac attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's show, 17-year NFL veteran and former Panther quarterback Steve Berline joins the podcast. But first, it's the opening drive. And welcome to the opening drive of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. I am joined by my esteemed co-host. He is the first defensive player ever selected by the Carolina Panthers in the 1999, excuse me, 1995 NFL draft first round, uh, the 22nd overall pick. He's a two-time Super Bowl winner. Uh, it is cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? How you been doing this week? Hey, doing good, Desmond. Always good to enlighten the Carolina Faithfuls, the home base where it all started for me. So it's an honor to be on the Believe broadcast for the Carolina so, Panthers. And this has been a been a pretty cool, pretty cool trip so far. We've been on going on almost two months now. Todd joined in mm-hmm. a couple weeks back, and we're getting rolling. We got special guest uh, quarterback Steve Berline. Uh, many Panther yes. fans will remember Steve. He'll be up a little bit later on here in the show. Uh, we wanted to kind of hit a couple of the hot spots for Panther news for this past week. Uh, a couple of major, I guess you could say major stories as we barrel towards training camp. Uh, teams will start reporting to training camp here uh, in about 10 days, Ty. Uh, around uh, July 26, if I'm not mistaken, is when players will start to report. And as it stands, as of this recording of this podcast, nothing has changed with the NFL in terms of uh, dates or moving things around. Um, so we'll kind of see if that stands still over the next 10 days. But uh, Bill Barnwell from ESPN wrote a great article on offensive arsenals in the league. And me and you were talking about it, Ty. He's got the 2020 Panthers with the fifth best offensive arsenal in the league going into this season. And that brought up the question, is this the best offensive personnel group in Panthers history on offense on paper? Of course, we haven't seen them all together yet with uh, new quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. But I wanted to pick your brain, Ty. I went back. And I, I pulled out five different teams from the Panthers' 26-plus years in the league, starting all the way back in 95. I pulled out five of them, and I wanted you to give me your opinion on each one of those personnel groups in comparison to the, the group that we'll have this year. Now, the group that Barnwell used was the wide receiving core of DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson, uh, along with Christian McCaffrey at running back. Um I want to go. I want to go back a couple years first. Uh, the 2015, of course, probably the most. Well, they are the most successful Panthers team in history, 15 and one. The quarterbacks aren't rated on these ratings from Barnwell. It's just the wide receiver positions and running back. And for some of these, I kind of cheated uh, and put the, mm-hmm. the tight end uh, that we had there instead because <laughs> that tight end was a major part of our offense. So mm-hmm. in, in 2015, uh, it's kind of amazing that we went 15 and one. As I when I wrote this down, the wide receivers were Corey Philly Brown. Ted Ginn, Greg Olson at tight end, and Jonathan Stewart was the lead running back. Um, comparing that to 2020, 
I'd, I'd take 2020, <laughs> you know, like with, with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, it's a faster group. Uh, McCaffrey's a better back than Jonathan Stewart. So yeah, that, it kind of plays out. And then you start kind of going through the years. Um, now there's a couple in here where it's close call. Like for example, in 2018, it would have been Steve Smith, Moose Muhammad, Dwayne Jarrett, and D'Angelo Williams at running back. Um, which would you rather had that 2008 squad or the 2020 squad coming in here, uh, here in a couple weeks? Well, you know, it all goes back to the type of system you're trying to run. Uh, back when you look at when Carolina uh, went to the Super Bowl, Cam Newton was a quarterback. Cam played a lot of, 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 of ball himself, not only throwing, but running the ball as well. So uh, you had to prepare for him as well. So it's like he was the second running back. Uh, he was the second option that you had yeah. to prepare for. So that allowed the receivers, uh, even if they were not as great as the receiving core that they may have now, it allowed them to still be productive. And anytime you have a great tight end, which I think is almost a heartbeat of a great wide receivers core, because now you're going to have a chance to have that tight end one-on-one with a linebacker who's not used to covering. And if you look at any great quarterback uh, or any great receiving system, even if it's that slot receiver, that slot receiver is basically an extended tight end. He's just faster. It's just like on defense when they bring in that nickelback, they're basically trading in a linebacker for someone who's faster, may not be as tough, bigger, but still can tackle. So basically when you see the three wide receivers set, all that is is basically a two receiver set tight end, but the tight end is, is extended now and they've given him a little bit more speed. So again, it depends on what type of system you want to uh, run that determines the type of, of athletes you put in that offense that's a that's a great point because as i was writing these down even going all the way back to you know the early well the mid 90s when the panthers first started um when you were drafted by the panthers i noticed a certain trend with all of these teams with different coaches uh they all were kind of run oriented ball control uh let the defense go get the game for us type of teams it felt like um especially early on uh, 96, 99. I, I went through some of those teams. Uh, like I said, 2008 stood out because that was a pretty good uh, unit. They went 12 and four. Uh, that was the year Jake DeLome had a really horrific uh, playoff game against Arizona at home. Uh, the Panthers were the two seed in the NFC and they ended up losing that divisional round. Uh, in 99, our guest uh, later on today, quarterback Steve Berlin was the quarterback mm-hmm. of this squad and he had Moose Muhammad. Uh, on his third year uh, in the league, Patrick Jeffers, Wesley Walls at tight end, um, mm-hmm. and Tim Biakabatuka at running back. Um, that team was fourth in scoring in the league. They were only eight and eight overall and didn't make the playoffs, uh, barely missed it. But they were fourth in scoring that, that year. And uh, if I remember correctly, Biakabatuka had a lot of injury issues uh, when he yes. was here. So he was in and out of the starting lineup. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember Patrick Jeffers and the type of wide receiver he was. Moose was young. Moose was, you know, year two, yes. year three uh, that year. And, of course, Wesley Walls, before we had Greg Olson, That's Wesley true. Walls was, yeah, he's the greatest tight end that we'd had in franchise history until Olsen showed yeah. up. So that that one stands out, especially the stats they put up. Erlon put up uh, 4,000 yards that season and was the uh, leading uh, quarterback in passing yards uh, in the league, too. So that, that yes. offense was pretty prolific. Um 
in terms of getting the ball up and down the field. And then and then I had 1996. Um, Kerry Collins was the quarterback. You were actually on this roster. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Carrier, Willie Green, Wesley Walls was the tight end there. Uh, the running back was Anthony Johnson. Um, yes. And I was looking at the dang. Yeah, I was trying to remember him. And uh, he, he was pretty solid at running back. If I'm not mistaken, he yes. had 1,000 yards that year. Um, yes. Of course, the Panthers, uh, that was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he went 12 and 4, made it to the NFC championship game, lost to Brett Favre and the, and the Packers. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, just looking through these, there's really, for me, there's really only one or two. 2008 and 2003, and those kind of stand out because they had Steve Smith and Moose together uh, at the wide receiving core. I guess it really boils down to, and this is the question I'll I'll, I'll pose to you, Ty. Who who would you take potential wise first? Would you take 2003 Steve Smith, Moose Muhammad, Ricky Prohl, or are you taking this 2020 DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson? Because both groups bring a little bit of different things to the table. Yeah, and you're you're right on that spot on, Desmond. And if I had to make a choice right now, I'll take the 2003 Carolina Panthers wide receivers core just because they established themselves. We saw and we know what they did. So as they say, (laughs) hindsight being 2020, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get Steve Smith and Musin Muhammad. You know, of course, those two combined for 142 receptions. and uh, over uh, almost 2,000 yards and uh, a double digits uh, in touchdowns. So, uh, of course, we know what they did. Now, this new group, DJ Moore, Chris Samuels, and you got uh, Robbie, and then you have the other guys, Seth Roberts and uh, uh, Cooper. You know, yes, Robbie Anderson and those other guys, uh, along with DJ Moore and Chris Samuel, they – have the potential, but like they say, potential just means you haven't done it yet. So once they go out and solidify themselves, then I'm pretty sure they will take the mantle from Steve Smith and Musin Muhammad. But until they go out there and do it, then I'm going to stick with Steve Smith and Musin Muhammad because they did it. We know they did it. So I'm going to stick with as the old saying go, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. So <laughs> I'm going to stick with Steve Smith and Musian Muhammad. I can't. Yeah, I really can't argue that in terms of uh, Moose and Smitty being uh, the template for wide receiver groups for the Panthers uh, going forward. Um, it's kind of crazy to me that, you know, we really haven't had a, a, a quote unquote wide receiver core uh, with the Panthers, even when Smith and, and Moose were here. It, it, there was a drop off after you got past those two, really. No offense to Ricky Prohl or uh, any of those guys, but uh, Smith and Muhammad were clear starters, and Smith had a fight to be a starter because he came in uh, basically as a punt returner, special teams guy, uh, ran his first uh, kickoff return back for a touchdown. Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, and and fought his way basically, you know, undersized, fast, uh, could jump higher than any wide receiver I can remember in terms of his height and how high he get up with those thighs and those legs to get up there to get these balls and was just fearless. And yeah, I, I think yeah. that's the main separator. Smitty was fearless in terms of going after a ball. We haven't really seen yeah. that yet from DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, um, yeah. or Robbie Anderson, but they'll have an opportunity to show that here uh, this year. So Barnwell from ESPN.com. Rating them very high. Of course, the uh, yeah. Kansas City Chiefs rated number one um, yeah. in offensive arsenal uh, in the league. 
going forward. Yeah. You're, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's think about this as well. Even with Steve Smith and Hussein Muhammad being the mantelpiece that everybody will look at going forward, even though Chris Samuels, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, they uh, have probably more speed amongst them than Steve Smith and Hussein Muhammad and Ricky Pro did. But let's not forget with the numbers that they put up, they were on a team that ran the ball heavily. True. Yeah, three. right. So yeah. just think if it's a pass happy offense and you spread these guys out, Ricky Pro, Musin Muhammad, which I think that's a great mixture with mm-hmm. Ricky Pro because I think you got to have a deep guy and you got to have a guy that goes across the middle. Musin Muhammad has a great body to go across the middle. And then you got Ricky Pro who can dink and dab and mm-hmm. use his skills to get into the creases. And then you got Steve Smith that can always keep that safety in the middle of the field. So again, Let's not forget Carolina Panthers were a running team. So that's probably why Steve Smith and Musia Muhammad didn't get as many balls as we're probably expecting DJ Moore, Chris Samuels, and Robbie Anderson to get. And if the quarterback, which is another big deal, you got to have the quarterback. So Teddy Bridgewater has to do his part. Doesn't do any good to have great receivers and nobody who can get the ball to the receivers. Now I'll say this in closing comparison of the Carolina Panthers, what they have now. If I could go back in history and grab any team and hold them as a mirror image of the Carolina Panthers or the Carolina Panthers, a mirror image of them, I would go back and I'll say the Buffalo Bills of the 90s when they had that K-gun. Oh, wow. I thought about, yeah, I'm like, you got Thurman Thomas. He could easily be McCaffrey. McCaffrey Mm -hmm. could be him. And then you had James Lofton, Andre Reed, Don Beebe. So I see the came the same kind of outfit here. Then you got a quarterback, Jim Kelly, who was the trigger man. Same thing. You you got a quarterback here in Carolina. So I, if I had to pull a team, I would say that is probably spot on comparison of what this potential 2020 Carolina Panther team could be like if they had the right system and the right coaches calling the right plays. I, I like where you're going with that because I had the same type of thought in terms of who would I who would I like this 2020 Panthers offense to uh, try to ascend to be. And for me, the template of the perfect offense is the 1999 St. Louis Rams in terms of just mm-hmm. the way they're built, speed across the, the floor. Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, both should be in the Hall of Fame. You got them starting at your one and two. Uh, good offensive line. Kurt Warner, pretty accurate. He can get the ball down the field when he needs to. Uh, came in kind of under the radar, so people didn't take him as seriously as they probably should. But the glue mm-hmm. for for both teams for me is Marshall Falk, Christian McCaffrey. They're kind of the same yes. type of running back. Um, you know, of course, Marshall, 1,000 yards receiving, 1,000 yards rushing uh, in a season. Uh, Christian became the third running back ever to do that. Roger Craig was another a 49ers team. I was kind of thinking, too, like the 84 49ers. Maybe built mm-hmm. a little bit like that right before they got Jerry Rice. Um, but yeah, that 99 Rams team, if the goal for me would be for this 2020 Panthers team to be functioning on all cylinders like that 99 Rams team or the year before the 98 Vikings team uh, that had Chris Carter and Randy Moss and Jake Reed at wide receiver, Robert Smith in the backfield with Randall Cunningham at quarterback. It was almost like those two years, those two teams, it felt like they could score anytime they got on the field, which 
you being a former defensive player probably drove you nuts, <laughs> you know, trying to yeah, watch some of those games. But yeah, it felt like it didn't matter where they started on the field at, at their own 20, at the 50, in the end zone, wherever. Give them four plays, they're going to get a large chunk of yards and get down the field in a hurry. And yeah, that in a, in a perfect world, this Panther offense in 2020 will be running on cylinders like that. If they got that going yeah. on, yeah, then we got a fun season ahead of us here. Yeah. Um, I can tell the- you. I can tell you also uh, that type of system does work. It will put points on the board and it will give you an opportunity to win championships. Again, just to allude to another couple of other teams. You go back and look at that same type of offensive system. You look at the Indianapolis Colts, the Peyton oh, yeah. Mannings, uh, 2004, 2003. You know, I, mm-hmm. I played against that offense and and it was explosive. Uh, you had to outscore them. You had Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Reggie Wayne yeah. Stokely. You know, these guys combining for 231 receptions, 3,400 plus yards, and 37 touchdowns. So you talk <laughs> about the, the just the scoreboard, just ding, 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 ding. Yeah. That's how it was with uh, that, that, that Colts team. So like you said, with the St. Louis Rams and and also going back to these Colts, they either had Edron James or mm-hmm. Joseph Adai. So you mm-hmm. have to have that that component of that running back as well, who's versatile, that can run the ball and catch it. And that's why I think these Carolina Panthers, their offense can be explosive. Again, you can have the players, but the coaches also, that's the intangible. The coaches have to be able to make the right calls to put that offense and those players in position to utilize their talents. You're in the opening drive of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast, Desmond Johnson and Tyrone Poole with you. Uh, Some other Panther-related news from the week and from around the league. Uh, Speaking of Christian McCaffrey, he was named to the Madden 99 Club, uh, given a 99 rating as the top-rated running back uh, going into this season. Now, last year, during the season, his rating went up from like a 96 to a 99 in season. He became the youngest player ever to get a 99 rating at 23 years old. Only six running backs have ever even received a 99 rating in Madden. Barry Sanders, Marshall Falk, LaDainian Tomlinson, Chris Johnson, and Adrian Peterson. Um, I think three of those guys, Sanders, Tomlinson, Johnson, well, four of them, and Peterson have all rushed for over over 2,000 yards in a season. Uh, We talked about Marshall Falk. Uh, He was a league MVP. Tomlinson's been a league MVP. Um, So for McCaffrey to be in that group, uh, shows a lot in terms of uh, the potential talent for that guy and the, and the contract that he received, the extension earlier uh, this offseason from the Panthers. Looks like it was well-deserved um, going forward. He's going to be the workhorse for this Panther offense going mm-hmm. forward. Uh, also, some Madden notes there. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I don't really play a whole lot of Madden, but I know a lot of people <laughs> do. <laughs> uh, okay, quarterback, yeah. quarterback Dante Jackson for the Panthers was rated the fastest cornerback in Madden. He has a 96 speed level, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, faster mm-hmm. than Jalen Ramsey or some of the other top cornerbacks in the league. So hopefully Dante can put some things together. Might have to uh, get a plane ticket for uh, Todd to go down to Charlotte and uh, talk to Dante a little bit, teach him a couple of tricks and things and get him to the point where we can feel comfortable him being our number one cornerback going forward here. So might have to make that happen. Maybe we can talk to yeah, exactly. see what, what we can do there. Um, PSL owners for Bank of America Stadium were notified this past Thursday that games will have a reduced capacity um, in, the, in this season, meaning you won't have full 100% capacity in uh, Bank of America Stadium. No specifics on what that will be uh, at this at the time of this recording. Uh, the owners of those PSLs, the permanent seat licenses that um, 
you can get as a Panther fan, which basically reserves you a seat uh, for you to be able to buy. Uh, they can opt out, uh, carry the credit over to the 2021 season, or they can receive a full refund. So if you're trying to figure out if you're a Panther fan, you got a PSL, you're trying to figure out if you want to go through the hassle of, of getting a ticket because it's going to be you know limited seats. You do have the option of getting a, a full refund. So contact the Panthers ticket office and talk to them uh, regarding that. And then finally, Ty, uh, Panthers owner David Tepper and his wife, Nicole, gave $250,000 to Johnson C. Smith University for students dealing with coronavirus financial hardship. Um, I've noticed that Tepper has really since he arrived a couple years ago, has really done a lot community wise um, in Charlotte and surrounding areas, even going down into South Carolina, like the Rock Hill area. Mm-hmm. Um Thoughts on his uh, his his willingness to be out there because a lot of a lot of NFL owners aren't really out there like that in terms of front page news, donations, headlines, you know that kind of thing. But Tepper, he's not held his tongue on a lot of different subjects, including uh, politics. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess he doesn't have to. He's worth thirteen billion dollars, so he can say whatever he wants. Apparently, so <laughs> you know. Um, your thoughts on on Tepper and his. Uh, his, his initial commitment to the community uh, here in the Carolinas. Well, as the old saying goes, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, and, you know, there's another saying that uh, if you give, you reap what you sow. So I understand Tepper probably understands that and probably got a little bit of Bible <laughs> verses <laughs> in him. So he knows that in order to satisfy where he wants to go, he has to satisfy the needs of the people who will help him get there. Unlike a lot of owners, they just feel like it's all about my team is my team is the way I want to do it. But Tepper him. Being a businessman, he understands that if you want to get to the top, it's the middle ca- the middle class and those below that lift up those who are on top. So, yes, I applaud what he do, what he does and what he's doing. And I wish that all owners and anybody that has an opportunity to help someone on a lower level, help them get up to the top level, because at the end of the day, we stand on each other's shoulder. So whatever it is that I want to do, somebody has to help me get there and whatever else somebody wants to do, I got to help them get there. So uh, the Panthers seem to be going in the right direction. And I, I will always believe that great leadership is what produces great organizations, great businesses, no matter where you go and you look you always go to the top. And if you can see at the bottom what's at the top and at the top what's at the bottom relationship, then I think you will see a great organization. And right now, the owner, Tepper, that's what he's doing. He's creating that culture of family, so to speak, in Carolinas. I'm glad you mentioned culture because I want to bring that up with our our guests coming up here. Um, we're, We're leaving the open and drive. And when we come back, uh, a pleasure to have this gentleman with us, a former Carolina Panthers quarterback, Steve Berline, will join the Believe in Panthers podcast next. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated, you never use it. That's exactly the type of system Simplisafe has spent a decade fighting against. Simplisafe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24-7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. 
head to simplisafe.com forward slash team and get free shipping and a 60 day money back guarantee. That's simplisafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less. And welcome back to the Believe in Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by 14-year veteran cornerback Tyrone Poole uh, right now on the line with us. He is a 14-year career veteran in the NFL. He spent five years here in beautiful Carolina from 96 to 2000. Quarterback Steve Berline joining the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. What's going on, Steve? How are you today? Hey, guys. How are you? Now, I have to clarify. i got to correct you already. Uh, I played 17 years in the NFL. Was it 17? See, okay, I got to be good. A lot of people, for some reason, you go to different stat sites, uh-huh. and it shows different numbers. But I had three years where I ended up on injured reserve. So ah, they, okay. I still played. I, was, I still was on the roster, but uh, I eventually was on injured reserve. But those count as years. I got you. 17 yeah, years. I went to, I think it was yeah. football focus or something like that. And uh, it did have like one year it said like contract dispute or something like that, like early on or something like you missed the whole year. And I was like, do I count that well, year? Do I, do I, do I not count it? <laughs> no, I, and that year I was with the Raiders, but I was, I was active the whole year. I just never suited up for a game. Uh, ah, so okay. it, was a weird, it was a weird, I mean, we, there's so many stories out there, but we're, we're not here to talk about that. So, so Steve, in 99, of course, uh, Panther fans uh, vividly remember you, you led the league in, um, passing yards 4,436 yards here in a Panther uniform 36 touchdowns made the Pro Bowl uh led the league in passing yards in 96 it, it, I'm glad we have you on for this particular episode because me and Ty have been talking about uh the Panthers offense going into 2020 uh Bill Barnwell from ESPN.com I wrote an article earlier this week about uh, well he ranked the offensive arsenals across the NFL and of course, the Kansas City Chiefs ranked in at number one. And you had your usual suspects. The Browns were in the top five with their names that are out there and the, the Cowboys and some others. It was a bit of a surprise that the Carolina Panthers were ranked number fifth overall uh, going into this season. And he rated it off of three wide receivers and a running back uh, that they that those particular teams have. Steve, what are your thoughts on the potential for the Panthers offense in 2020 with a very young group? DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson in addition uh, as the third wide receiver. And, of course, Christian McCaffrey in the backfield with Teddy Bridgewater. What are your initial thoughts on the potential for the Panthers offense in 2020? Well, I think they've got a lot of weapons. I think they did a really good job of, of shoring up where I thought was the weak spot of the the offense. That was the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, DJ Moore, I really like him a lot. I had a great uh, great rookie year last year. I thought he was very productive. Uh, but bringing in Curtis Samuel and now uh, Robbie Anderson, those are you got the speed guy now and in, in, in Anderson, and you've got uh, you know two other guys that have really proven themselves to be good wide receivers to go along with uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, who we all know is is uh, uh, one of if not the uh, very best running back in the NFL all around, every down running back. So. Uh, I think they've got a lot of weapons. Of course, it's going to come down like it always does to the quarterback. And uh, the, the huge decision this offseason was was to let Cam go and and commit to Teddy Bridgewater. And, and I think Teddy Bridgewater is a perfect fit. I was actually making this call before it happened. I said I think he'd be a, a great fit in Carolina because I thought the Panthers had, had uh, kind of washed their hands of Cam and were not willing to make the kind of commitment 
they were going to need to make to keep him in Carolina with all the injury history and, and everything else. So uh, I thought it was a great move uh, for their situation right now. Uh, this offseason has been so screwy that it may not pay off this year. And really, I believe it's something that's going to kick in next year uh, when these when this team has a chance to really uh, get through a regular offseason, get that chemistry. You talk about that word. You mentioned it before. Uh, it's such a key part of, of being a successful offense is having everybody on the same page and getting those offseason reps and really getting to know each other. And uh, they, they unfortunately haven't had that luxury this offseason. But I know Teddy Bridgewater is a smart guy. He's always been up there near 70% in completions. I, I really admire and respect his toughness coming back from the uh, devastating injury that he came back from uh, several years back. And last year, he, all he did was go 5-0 and in New Orleans. And uh, mm-hmm. I think he deserves this chance. He's going to be a great fit for the Carolina Panthers starting out here. Steve, you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater. From one leader to another leader, being at the quarterback position, one quarterback to another quarterback, what would you tell Teddy Bridgewater he needs to do to rally the team around him and the community around him? Well, that's a great question, Ty. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if there are any any words of advice I could give him. I know Teddy has uh, fought through a lot of his own adversity over the first uh, five or six years of his career. And he's already made the adjustment moving from one organization to the next. Um, I I do think that leadership is, is really important now for him coming in into this situation. He's coming in, filling some really, really big shoes, literally and figuratively with Cam Newton. And uh, I think the key for him to, to, to do really more than anything is to be himself. I've, I've seen Teddy, and the way he carries himself in interviews and in the community, he, he's a he's a very confident guy. He's got a great personality. Um, he'll handle himself well. He stays away from controversy. He's not a me, me, me guy. He's a team guy all the way. I think he has to just trust himself. He'll win that team over, uh, I think, very quickly. Uh, he's a completely different personality than Cam. And I think the, 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 the fans, even though the fans are hurting right now and really – uh, disappointed and I think uh, uh, feel like uh, right now at this point they probably feel like the organization made a mistake in letting Cam go. Uh, uh, the key is for Teddy to come out and say I'm not trying to replace Cam Newton. I'm not trying to be Cam Newton. I'm going to be Teddy Bridgewater and hopefully that's good enough. I'm going to play hard. I'm going to play tough. I'm going to let my teammates make plays and we're going to find a way to win games and hopefully you know when it's all said and done everybody will agree this was a good move for the Panthers. And I think that's the attitude he should take. On the line with us, Steve Berline, former quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Um, speaking of Teddy, do you, do you think Teddy Bridgewater can be a long-term solution at starter for Carolina? Because he, um, he signed basically a four-year deal. But really, when you look at the dynamics of the deal, the Panthers can kind of get out of it after year two. So do you think Teddy has enough – to be a long-term starter. He's only, what, I think he's he's not even 30, if I'm not mistaken. Um, still fairly young. Uh, you did mention the injury issues from before, especially the, the horrific one in Minnesota. Uh, but he did play well when given a chance last year in New Orleans going undefeated. Uh, do, do you think he's a solution at starter, um, Steve? Or, or would would if you were Matt Rule and Joe Brady, are you kind of thinking further ahead and thinking that he's more of a stopgap? 
Well, you know, we're going to find that out. Uh, I do believe that the hope for the Panthers is that he gets through that contract and he shows that he can be the guy uh, that can that can lead the franchise. But I think that contract, it was it was the right move for the Panthers to give themselves that option after a couple of years. And I don't think Teddy Bridgewater was going to get anything close to that anywhere else. Uh, you know, over twenty million a year, and yeah, he's 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 well under thirty years old. There's no doubt about that. He's got a lot of football in front of him. The question is, can he be the guy they need him to be? And they don't need a quarterback to carry them the way that Cam Newton carried this organization when he was healthy and playing his best. What they need out of Teddy Bridgewater is consistent football, protecting the football, making the plays that are there. They're trying to surround him with as many playmakers as they can. They've, they've made the effort to do that. Um, I'm not 100% up on what's been going on with the offensive line, but that's obviously going to be, be be a key because Teddy's not nearly as mobile as Cam was, although he is you know, fairly mobile, uh, more mobile than I was when I was a quarterback in Carolina. <laughs> uh, but, but the bottom, and that's not saying much, T-Pool. Don't say anything on that. But, I mean, you, you uh, can get around. You had some wheels. You can get around a little bit. <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. The bottom line, though, is that Teddy Bridgewater, I think, will show that he can handle it. Now the question is whether or not uh, he's going to show the Panthers enough over the first couple of years to where they want to build around him for the next few. And it, it's going to depend on a lot of things. It's going to depend on how how quickly Matt Rule gets his team to be in a, a, a serious uh, team that, that should be taken seriously and can contend for that division. Uh, it also depends on who else is available, whether it's through the draft or free agency or things like that. Those are always factors that are going to be measured into it. But I do like Teddy Bridgewater there, and I think he has the ability to be there for the full contract. So with uh, with that, any initial thoughts on, of course, a brand new regime in Carolina? Um, and of course, it was the worst year to bring in a brand new coaching staff, basically take out the entire defense and uh, <laughs> kind of start from scratch. Uh, these guys have not been able to see each other face to face. And as it stands right now, the NFL is set to uh, start training camps on July 26, which is about uh, we're about nine days away from this happening, guys. Um Steve, what are your initial thoughts on head coach Matt Rule and, in particular, the offensive coordinator Joe Brady um, coming out of LSU, only 30 years old. He's got some experience. He, he worked underneath uh, Sean Payton in New Orleans for a year and then uh, was in LSU. We saw what happened in LSU this past year, winning the national championship. Joe Burrow throwing for you know an obscene amount of yards. Uh, what, what are your expectations with Joe Brady coming in, having worked with Teddy Bridgewater in the past? Do you think that even though they haven't been able to see each other really in person, that this offense can kind of hit the ground running? Well, there's a lot of questions about, I think, both Matt Rule and Joe Brady and, and uh, Teddy Bridgewater. We've already gotten into that issue. But, uh, you know, I, everything that I've heard about Matt Rule is is very positive. And, and he's had – you can't argue with the success – that he's had at the college level, the collegiate level. And the same with Joe Brady. I mean, Joe Brady, you know, doing what he did with, with uh, the, the LSU team last year uh, was, was astronomical, was off the charts. It was, you know, never had a, had a year like that in the history of college football. So you, you got to give him his credit as far as that goes. But I do believe that there are a lot of questions. He is now going to be the guy calling the shots at the NFL level. Uh, he knows Teddy from LSU, or, I mean, from uh, New Orleans. I, I understand that. Uh, but 
that relationship will be a factor for sure. And, and Teddy will have an edge on everybody else as far as understanding that system. But as you said, this year is so unique, not having that time. Uh, everybody says, well, every team in the NFL uh, is dealing with the same circumstances. It is true, except for the teams that have the new coaches. It's a tremendous disadvantage mm-hmm. for teams that have a new coaching staff because those players have no relationship, no, no existing uh, understanding of what they're trying to do offensively, defensively. So that's going to be a major issue, and we're going to just have to see how that plays out. And I'm going to ask this, Steve, uh, with the type of players that the Panthers have, uh, mostly like explosive guys, and then you mentioned the time restraint that this pandemic has employed on teams. Which offensive system or set would you think would be the most easiest to teach would it be a 21 personnel, which basically two backs, the old traditional two backs, two wide receivers, one tight end, or the 10 personnel where you got uh, four wide receivers, one running back? And I know you know all this, but everyone who's probably listening probably saying, what is a 21 personnel? What's great. a 10 personnel? This uh, is great. <laughs> uh, yeah, 11 personnel, uh, three wide receivers, one back, one tight end. Now, we've are expecting the Panthers to have, which like most offenses, they're running three receiver sets. So if you were a coach and you were coaching up under this pandemic, which would you kind of usher in to start the season going until you can kind of get everybody on page? Would you just come back with your three wide receiver set or would you try to condense it, maybe get back to the two back, two receivers, one tight end, old set? Well, I think what fits the Panthers best, and especially what they did at wide receiver this year, bringing in uh, Samuels and, and uh, also uh, picking up Anderson from the Jets. Um, I think they need to have all three of those guys on the field for sure. And I, I also think that works well uh, into what Christian McCaffrey does best as well. When you, when you spread the field like that and you've got those three wide receivers, you're only going to have the one running back, but that's pretty much a set that Christian McCaffrey is, has been working out of his whole career. And that's that's where he really gets that isolation opportunity on the linebackers inside with all those pass routes where they can uh, run the screen passes to him, spread the field, get those safeties wider, get those corners out of the picture. And if they try to stay with regular personnel with three linebackers on the field, you're removing one of the linebackers out over the slot receiver. So I, I think that plays into what the Panthers will be best suited for. And Teddy Bridgewater uh, the, the, you can go very basic out of a three wide receiver set. You know this, Tyrone. You you can expand on your overall philosophy as the season goes. I expect that most teams, especially the teams that have new new coaching staff and new systems, will keep it very simple the early part of the year. But Teddy Bridgewater has enough experience. Those receivers have enough experience. Christian McCaffrey does as well to where they'll be able to pick up and run the basics of a system pretty quickly. And then they'll just kind of expand on that as the season goes. But I do believe you have to have all of your best playmakers on the field. That would be the three wide receivers and Christian McCaffrey and giving him an opportunity to, to really work his magic on the inside of the football field. 
On the line with us, former Panthers quarterback Steve Berline, now NFL analyst. Um, Steve, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit. Now, we do have breaking news going on right now. We're not going to go deep in the weeds with this. But there's stuff going on with the Washington football franchise. They've been kind of in the news all week, whether it's changing the logo, changing the nickname. And now uh, there's an article in the Washington Post people can go to and read regarding uh, some accusations towards their front office. I, I didn't want to go into that, into this podcast, but I did. You guys both kind of touched on this, uh, talking about Matt Rule uh, and Joe Brady. I want you guys to talk about how important culture is to a football team in particular uh, in relation to winning. Because for me as a fan looking in, it feels like the teams that are the most successful are the teams that have a culture kind of in place. They know who they are. They know who their identity is. Everyone knows everyone and gets along. Uh, there's no individualism really in football where there's team success. Whereas like in really any other sport, basketball, uh, baseball, whatever, you can be a successful individual in those those team sports and still have successful team seasons. But it may or may not, you know, turn into a championship per se in football it almost seems like it's required and and I, and I wanted you both of you being former players to kind of touch on this um with Matt Rule coming in how hard is it to change a culture of a franchise into what you envision it to be and how hard is it for players to follow behind a, a vision that they may not necessarily agree with when they when they first come in go ahead Tyrone I'll let you go first well I'll just say this. I, I think the team culture, establishing a team culture is so important because it directly influences many areas that affect a team's functioning and performance, whether that's players, uh, whether that's the ownership, uh, the community. So as the old saying goes, it takes a village. So if David Tepper, all the way down to Matt Rule, down to the offensive, defensive coordinators, all the way down to the person that comes in and and, and cleans our lockers, you know, to the equipment manager, uh, to the outside, to the people who are the fans who are talking about their team. You have to establish that culture. And if players, coaches don't abide by it, then you got to get rid of the cancer. You got to cut the cancer out. I've been on organizations where that was it. If you didn't do it the way we are establishing this culture here, we don't care how talented you are. You are a cancer and we got to cut you out. And I'll say this in closing. I'll let Steve pick up. It's not always the most talented team that wins. It's the team that understands their gifts and talents that play together that wins. So uh, I know Steve being out there in the Oakland Raiders, I was out there one time and we had a lot of talent, but we still didn't win because the culture was kind of like not sturdy, but I've been on teams where the culture was solid and we won when it came down to tough situations. We stuck together. What stayed, what happened in the locker room stayed in the locker room. We, we challenged each other. Uh, the, the, the coaches didn't have to do too much because we handled everything inside our culture called our locker room. So I think that culture is very, very important. Steve. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head with all that, uh, T, T pool. And, and, uh, you know, I think that it is very difficult to understand for someone on the outside who hasn't been 
in that locker room environment at the highest level where you're dealing with grown men uh, who are, are husbands, fathers, uh, whatever they might be. They're just getting started with their professional career. Uh, you have to have everybody on the same page. And you, you described it very well, T. And uh, I think the big word is in, the, in football, more so than any other sport, you have to trust your teammates. You have to trust that they're going to do their job and that they're going to trust you to do your job and that they're going to show up when they need to show up and, and, and vice versa. And it does start at the top. I can give you an example. You mentioned the Oakland Raiders. I played for the L.A. Raiders. Uh, tells you how old I am. But uh, <laughs> that organization, when Al Davis was around, was toxic because he couldn't keep his nose out of the football running or the football operation. The coaches were intimidated. The players knew everything was coming from the top. Uh, there was a lot of dissension, a lot of misplaced, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, insecurities, uh, a lot of distrust. It was very dysfunctional all the way around. And then I went to the Dallas Cowboys when Jimmy Johnson was a head coach. And contrary to what Jerry Jones would like you to believe, Jimmy Johnson ran that football team when they were winning Super Bowls. When Jimmy Johnson left and Jerry Jones got more and more involved, what's happened since? It shows me it's a very clear example of of what happens when you don't have the culture from top to bottom where everybody's on the same page and everybody's buying into the same thing. We've seen teams like the Washington Redskins try to buy a Super Bowl. Uh, yes. You know, when they when they brought in Deion Sanders and they, they tried to buy everybody that they possibly could, the best players. And Tyrone said it, talent doesn't win championships. That team blew up because you had a bunch of me guys, guys that were more concerned about their own uh, uh, brand and their own image. And, and what was, why is it at all about me? That takes away from the team uh, essence and, and, and uh, what really is most important in football. My last point, Mike Shanahan is one of my very best friends in the world. He yeah. coached me at the Raiders. Like he coached me at the Broncos. Uh, he, he did, he, I can't think of any, examples that uh, would support what's going on right now in Washington as far as some of the accusations and some of the issues that have been brought up. But I know that Mike Shanahan during his years in Washington said that organization was very dysfunctional. And I think that's one of the reasons why they've had the problems they have for the last you know 20 plus years. Yeah, and I agree with that. Everything both you guys said, and all you have to do is look around the league to see you know who are the top teams in the league right now or have been over the past, you know, five, seven, eight years. Of course, the Patriots come to mind first. And when you think of the Patriots, you think about the Patriots way, the Patriots culture, you know, the thing that they've built since, you know, Belichick came in. And it's almost like they can swap players in and out uh, as long as those players uh, abide by the culture that's been set. Like no one's bigger than the culture that's been set in that locker room. And then, you know, you go the opposite direction and you look at teams that have struggled or teams that, have not had sustained success, uh, you know, somebody like maybe the Miami Dolphins or someone like that, where they've had different regimes, different coaches, different players, kind of on a turnstile in and out, and you can't really get a grip. And for me, uh, in terms of this Panther franchise, I just thought it was it was pretty unique that we've had multiple coaches over 25-plus years, but the culture of the franchise has basically remained the same, you know, the identity of the team, run first, ball control, defense type, gritty, uh, going to be in close type game. And that's gone from George Seifert all the way to Ron Rivera, in my opinion. Now, I don't think that's going to be the way with Matt Rule. He doesn't seem like that type. 
Um, neither does Joe Brady. So that's really exciting for Panther fans to finally get something that's a little bit different. But everything I've heard about Matt Rule is that he's a culture builder. Uh, every place he's been, he's basically cleared house and started rebuilding from the foundation up the way he wanted it to be. And he's had success everywhere he's been. So for Panther fans, that's a good sign. And hopefully that'll play out for us 2020 and beyond. Uh, former NFL quarterback Steve Berline on with us on the Believe in Panthers podcast. One last thing uh, to pick your brain over, uh, Steve, and that's, of course, coronavirus, COVID-19. Uh, 72 players tested positive as of July 10th. Training camp is still scheduled to start around the league for most teams on July 28th. And that is uh, is either 28th or 26th. So we're about nine, 10 days away uh, from players starting to report. What is your gut feeling in terms of potential of playing a full season in 2020 with coronavirus uh, raging across the South right now? Uh, record cases daily uh, in hot spots: Florida, Texas, Arizona, California. We've got NFL teams in all those states. So, Steve, what are your thoughts on what's what you're seeing right now? And I know the NFL has not changed any dates whatsoever this truck is moving on like they have not even tried to ch- really change much of anything what are your thoughts on a f- uh, potential of getting through a full nfl season in 2020 uh if in fact we do begin one um here in, in about a month or so well uh, if you believe if any of us or anybody out there believes that there's not going to be uh, uh moving <laughs> moving uh, this, uh issues that are going to come up uh daily throughout the course of the football season you're you've, you've had your head in the sand for too long because we, we see how things change from day to day um all over the country you know politicians get involved and you know if one state's rules are different than another state's rules that's going to affect the the football pro football organizations as well so uh, this is not simply just an NFL decision of whether they want to move forward or not. There's going to be a lot of other factors that go into it. I know Roger Goodell and the NFL are 100% committed to playing a full 16-game schedule, and unless they are stopped and told they cannot do it, uh, that is going to be their mentality. And Whether there's 25% of the fans in the stadium, no fans in the stadium, um, who knows how that's all going to work out. But uh, none of us have any clue what's going to happen at this point. But I know the mentality is they want a full 16 game schedule. And the only thing that can stop it is uh, government intervention into that is my opinion. Do you think that, um, cause the Panthers did announce uh, earlier this week, we had talked about at the top of the podcast that um, they will not have full capacity seating for 2020. They haven't announced how many they're going to have. I know Jacksonville has announced they're going to let up to like, I think 25,000 into the, the stadiums. Uh, to allow social distancing and whatnot, I'd imagine something normal for Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine the Panthers will be something similar because BOA seats like I think seventy thousand. So to put maybe a quarter in there, about maybe twenty thousand or something like that, and they're giving PSL owners a way to kind of get a refund if they want to. They don't want to haggle over the select number of seats, but they haven't mentioned any of that yet, and. Uh, we don't even know sitting here right now, do we, how many preseason games we're going to have? Because I, I know that you're talking about cutting into two, right? Is that official or do they not know? Because we haven't really heard anything about it being officially done. I know the NFLPA wanted zero preseason games uh, last week. Um, any word on any of that uh, in terms of playing these preseason games or do you think they should just skip the preseason altogether? 
Well, I, I think that uh, the last I heard was two preseason games. Uh, I haven't heard anything contrary to that. I know, again, these are daily discussions, and, and as the clock is ticking, uh, more decisions are going to be made. But uh, I, I would, you know, it, it, it's it's going to be such a unique year. I'd love to get Tyrone's perspective on this as a skill position guy, you know, a defensive mm-hmm. back, you know, the, the conditioning that goes into – being able to play at that level with the wide receivers and the defensive backs and all the running and the hamstring issues that I think are going to be inevitable because if even if they only have two preseason games, their offseason program has not been anything near what it normally is. And so I think Mm -hmm. the conditioning physically, even if they're in good shape, it's not going to necessarily translate into good football shape on the field, game type of speed, Mm -hmm. game type of action. I think there's going to be a lot more injuries this year because of that. How about you, T? Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%, Steve, on that. And I was going to even talk about it from the standpoint of someone, not if someone tests positive, but when someone tests positive, the, uh, I guess, the 14-day uh, quarantine, to me, that is like an, an injury. When you get injured as a player, you come back from that injury. So you come back from the 14 day of quarantine. Your conditioning is is down. Like you said, Steve, your timing is off, which that could lead to more injuries. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's going to be a situation where injuries will be on the rise and it's something that we just got to deal with. It's, it's about adjusting. But I do believe that Injuries could increase just because of the pandemic in which we're in and the time that you got to quarantine if you are tested positive and just the lack of a full capacity to get yourself in shape for a brutal game. It's not like we're playing baseball. You know, you just swing a bat. Here you got guys that are pushing off left, right, explosively. They're decelerating, accelerating. So all of that, you have to condition those muscles and ligaments and tendons over time to be able to handle what you're about to put it through. So uh, it's it's, going to be very intriguing to see how this season goes along uh, comparing injuries. I would agree with that, too. And I I would echo that with them not having a traditional – OTAs and just being able to implement uh, some of this stuff, especially teams like Carolina with new coaching regime regimes, new head coach, new OC, new DC, the entire defense feels like a bunch of rookies because they pretty much jettison everyone out. So it's a, it's a a moving target for sure. Uh, We'll see how this plays out and we're getting close to it, guys. I mean, training camp's about to start here in less than two weeks. So some of these questions are going to start getting answered in a real big hurry. Um, so we'll we'll kind of find out from there where we are and where we're going as we get closer and closer to training camp. Want to thank our host. I want to thank our guest Steve Berline for coming in with us today on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Uh, love to have you back on sometime later on in the season, Steve. Um, I know you're going to yes. be busy doing some stuff with the uh, the NFL, but would love to bring you back on to the podcast as we get deeper into the season, so we can. Uh, either cheer or critique what's going on <laughs> with the Panthers uh, in the 2020 Hopefully we'll be cheering. And uh, anytime, I, I, T. Pool is one of my all-time favorites. So uh, anytime you ask me, I'll try to come through for you guys. So that's the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. We'll see you next week. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.